Welcome back, guys. You are listening to episode four of Stay the Path podcast, Men Without Chests. So, first off, little update. I am home for the next nine days. I have some uh, firearms training and some medical stuff. Tuesday, a few are state over with some uh, pretty cool and high-speed dudes. I'm looking forward to that. And then other than that, spending time with family and siblings that I haven't seen in a very long time. And then I actually got to fly back to North Carolina at the end of those nine days. But I'm very, very happy to be up here, to be uh, hanging with some friends, uh, training, whatever. Very excited. So, also, I want to say thank you. I launched this podcast 11 days ago, so just over a week, and in those 11 days, we hit 100 and, uh, 182 downloads. That is really, really cool, and I'm very happy about that. Let's see. I'm trying to get to 200 by uh, next Friday. Not that it's a race or anything, but the reason why I want to say thank you um, is because you guys were the ones that encouraged me to actually make this podcast and to launch it, and at first, I was a little bit hesitant. I was like, people follow me for... The other content I produce if I just sit down and talk are people really gonna listen but uh, you guys prove that um, there's a large majority of you that do and I appreciate that I have fun doing these so today's episode men without chests I'm gonna be reading uh, excuse me sorry I'm gonna be reading an article from the art of manliness.com AOM um, and the name of this article is just men without chest so I'm gonna read it down um, talk about it break it down similar similar to how I did it with the Winston Churchill master of speech except this time I'm going to be reading the whole entire article uh, I'm telling you you can never go wrong with artofmanliness.com this is kind of off topic but I first came across this website my eighth grade year so that was like six years five years ago um, I was uh, I got put in a leadership class and the dude that was running this class was this retired command sergeant major and one of the activities we had to do was um, the art of manliness at the time had an article up about like a hundred skills every man needs. So part of this class was that we had to, in a partnership, find a skill, master it. It was like simple skills and then teach it to the class. Um, so what did I do? Oh, I did how to apply a tourniquet because I've always been into that medical stuff. So me and a buddy um, practice, 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 practice how to apply a tourniquet. <laughs> and then uh, we performed it in front of the in front of the leadership class and then taught them how to do it. So that's how I first came across Art of Manliness was because my instructor, this command sergeant major, was a big fan of it. He was a big believer that us young boys had to had to grow up. <laughs> so I've been kind of sticking with them ever since. But anyway, I came across this article. It's not a new article. It was published two years ago, actually. But um, um, I just thought it would, it would be a good thing to review for you guys. So getting into it, men without chests starts off with this C.S. Lewis quote, We make men without chests and expect of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our mists. We castrate and bid the gildings to be fruitful. Sorry. And bid the gildings be fruitful. C.S. Lewis. So jumping into the article. Have you ever come across the above quote? I had, and even in the absence of its context, it's taken from the fairly dense first chapter of Lewis's The Abolate, The why can I speak today? The abolition, oboli <laughs> the oblation of men. That definitely did not pronounce that right. 
I'm, it's a slow day. <laughs> Figured I understood what it meant. Modern society creates men who lack a chest swelling virility and then complain about the lack of upright manly men. However, having recently taken the time to actually study the full context of this quote, I learned that Lewis was actually getting at something different, or more accurately that he was not describing the loss of manly virtue itself, but rather the, the mechanism by which, it, by which along with all other types of virtue is produced. In fact, by chest, he doesn't mean some kind of literal or metaphorical scaffolding of masculinity, but sentiment. So that was just the author's introduction. And uh, for the most part, I agree. I, I think I've heard of that quote a few years back. Um, I'm super, well, now I am. I'm pretty religious. So when I was first getting into religion, I came across C.S. Lewis because um, he had good thoughts on Christianity. And uh, I definitely read that quote. And at the time, similar to what this author wrote, um, I took it as more of like the physical um, stance, but it really is getting at something more. So going back to the article, the Tao, Tao, Tao. I'm sorry that I'm butchering English. Well, actually, this is not English. Tao, it's an Asian. Anyway, the, <laughs> the Tao of sentiment. Nearly all religions and philosophical schools, whether Judaism, Christian, Hinduism, Aristotle, Liliism, Stoicism, <laughs> or Platonism, Lewis observes, posited, that they're an underlying natural order to the world, and truth is that which most clearly reflects and explains its reality. To uphold this doctrine of objective value, it's a belief that certain attitudes are really true and others are really false to the kind of thing the universe is and the kind of things we are. Lewis feels this perspective is, de is best described by the Chinese con concept of Tao. I think I'm saying that right. It is the reality, oh, this is C.S. Lewis quote right now. It is the reality beyond all predicates. It is nature, it is the way, the road, it is the way in which the universe goes on. The way in which things everlastingly emerge, still and tranquilly in space and time. It is also the way which every man should treat in imitation of the cosmic and supercosmic progression, conforming all activities to that great example. Example. So, end quote. So, that's a pretty deep philosophical quote that CS just gave us, but for the most part, he had a lot of those. Um, but what he's touching at now is that observing all schools of thought and all religions, there's always a common theme. And for the most part, that common theme is uh, um, what this author is going to talk about is objective value. So, for example, um, men, for the most part, are leaders of their family. Most religions, if not all religions, have that or have taught that or believe in that. So you could call that an objective truth. Whether that aligns with modern society's beliefs, that doesn't matter because they're looking back on traditional um, religions and philosophies that shape the earth. So um, as C.S. Lewis says, it really goes beyond all predicates. It's nature. So he's saying it doesn't really matter what us humans think. Um, objective truth, objective truth of men is far more than men itself. So within, uh, continue reading, within the objective reality of nature exist people, places, and things. Sorry, I gotta make sure this thing's still recording. It, I, before I left, I recorded an episode with my buddy Nick, and we talked for like a good while, and we're like, dude, this is gonna be awesome, and uh, actually stopped recording. So, <laughs> I gotta check every once in a while. Sorry, continuing reading. Within the objective reality of nature exists people places and things with, with which possess an objective value and are thus deserving of varying levels of esteem and respect. Here's a quote. Until modern times, all teachers and even all men believed that the universe to be such that certain emotional reactions on our part could be either 
congruous or incongruous to it, believed in fact that objects did not merely receive but could merit our approval or, dis or disapproval or reverence of our own contempt. So once again, this is kind of further backing the belief of objective realities of nature, which actually do exist in people. Sorry, that was my dog, my German Shepherd barking. Um, so once again, it doesn't really matter if we believe it's a, co a social construct or whether man invented this to uh, oppress other groups of people. What it's talking about is the virtues of men um, are, are objective to nature. Um, so continuing reading, given that the value of, of these things is our objective, then they should elicit certain responses from us. The night sky should elicit a feeling of humility. The story of a courageous warrior should elicit a feeling of veneration. Little children should elicit a feeling of delight. A friend's father's, a friend's father's death should elicit a feeling of empathy. A kind act should elicit a feeling of gratitude. So once again, it's going even farther. So I, I think I just said that as an example, like the uh, virtues of men would be an objective truth. They're saying far more than that. Um, they're saying certain things that us humans experience uh, will elicit a common feeling. And that common feeling is nature. That common feeling is ingrained in us. It is objective. It is not a social construct. We're not necessarily consciously thinking about it. It's brought out within our own spirit and within our heart naturally. Um, I like that actually, I like that a lot. So continuing, while the nature of emotional responses is, part, is partially visceral and automatic, a man's sentiments also have to be intentionally educated in order to be congruent, to be more in harmony with nature. Such training teaches a man to evaluate things as more or less just, true, beautiful and good, and to proportion his affections as merited. As Lewis notes, this training was considered central to one's development through antiquity. So before I read, um, Saint, before, sorry, before I read Lewis's quote, uh, which actually he brought in St. Augustine for this, um, good guy. Um, I want to hit on what I just read, which now I am forgetting. All right. To be more in harmony with nature, such training teaches a man to evaluate things more or less. So once again, um, in order to, like they just explained, certain things elicit natural feelings to be a, a man that, um, gives off that, that virtue, that true strength, especially in modern day society, it has to be cultivated. It has to be, um, uh, it has to be more of a conscious development than say a natural development. So reading Lewis's quotes, St. Augustine defines virtue as ordo amoris, the, ordi uh, the ordinate condition of the affections to which every object is accorded, that kind of degree of love which is appropriate to it. Aristotle says that the aim of education is to make the pupil like and dislike what he ought. Furthermore, Plato before him had said the same. The little human animal will not at first have the right response. It must be trained to feel pleasure, liking, disgust, hatred at those things which really are pleasant, likable, disgusting, and hateful. So, um, end quote. So, to kind of summarize this in a psychological standpoint, nature versus nurture, right? Um, certain reactions um, are natural, they're genetic, they're instinctual, whereas other reactions aren't. They're taught reactions. Their learned or observed reactions, right? So, um, a child gravitating towards its mother or its primary caregiver is a form of natural. Actually, no. Even furthermore, a baby is kind of born 
helpless 100%, but it learns to grab at things. That is not a conscious decision, that is a uh, genetic instinctual, uh, instinctual concept. However, that child, that baby growing up into a child, then um, going out into the world and doing kind acts, that's more or less, or that is a taught or a possibly observed action. They're doing that because their parent did that and they noticed or their parents taught them to do that. So that's pretty much what they're saying here. Throughout history, there's been a uh, relatively agreed on principle that the way we operate is a mix of nature and a mix of nurture. Nurture. I don't know why I said that. So I hope you guys don't get bored of these. Alright, so the man who leaves a one-star Yelp review, I'm reading the article here, for a national park scoffs at the brave deeds of a soldier, decides that attending his friend's father's funeral would be too much of a hassle or, fa or fails to say thank you for a gift. This shows the lack of this kind of educational sentiments. So exactly what I just said. So this guy that they use as an example of being kind of just a jerk um, or socially non-existent is a great example of learned and a, uh, taught behaviors. Continuing, if one believes in objective order and value, then the failure to feel the proper sentiment in the face of particular stimulus cannot be justified on the basis of mere personal preference, casually categorized under the rubric of to each their own. Rather, it must be frankly taught as a deficiency in one's human makeup. As Lewis confesses, I myself do not enjoy the society of small children because I speak from within the Tao. I recognize this as a defect in myself, just as a man may have to recognize that he is tone deaf of co or colorblind. What? So I think what Lewis is saying is here, he didn't necessarily like the company of children, but he, he was conscious of that. And he, he realized that that was a defect in himself. So he didn't just kind of coast about his life, letting his uh, defects, quote unquote, affect him. He was conscious of that. And he relates that to a man should also recognize that he is tone deaf or colorblind. Um, not that those things are a lot more physical. Anyway. To follow the Tao in this sense is to see things as possessing a quality which demands a certain response from us, whether we make it or not. Given this perspective, emotions are themselves neither rational or irrational, but they do play a central part in following the dictates of reason. I think it goes into another quote here. It doesn't say who it was. I'm assuming it's C.S. Lewis. I don't know, though. Hmm. Didn't say. I'm just I'm going to assume this was C.S. Lewis because the last quote was. Because our approvals and disapprovals are thus recognitions of objective value or in a response to an objective order, therefore emotional states can be in harmony with reason. And we like thinking for what ought to be approved or out of harmony with reason when we perceive that liking is due that cannot feel it. No emotion is in itself a judgment. In that sense, all emotions and sentiments are illogical, but they can be reasonable or unreasonable as they conform to reason or fail to conform. The heart never takes the place of the head, but it can and should obey it. Um, okay, so breaking down this quote, which I'm assuming is by C.S. Lewis, I really like that last part. The heart never takes the place of the head, but it can and should obey it. So it's saying uh, more logical decisions and uh, emotional decisions, they're very separate. And what drives them is very different things. However, you can, as it says, um, bring the, in harmony reason. Just like it says the head, uh, the heart never takes place with the head, it can. It can, so your emotional reactions can override your decisions that you, may, that you make based off of logic. And, and I think he's saying, and it should obey it. So 
Um, even though your emotional reactions can overtake your logical reactions, you're more likely to do what feels like you have to do. Like it might not be the best decision for you. Um, it can overcome it. It doesn't mean it should. And actually your heart should um, take place. I mean, your head should take place over your heart. Continuing, a dangerous dissection. The Taoist system, as described above, existed anciently and across many religions and philosophical schools for thousands of years. It began to be dismantled, however, in the postmodern age. And it is this dismantling that Lewis seeks to talk about. In the 20th century, it began to be poised that there was not a natural order to the world and that things do not possess an objective value. End quote. Um, plugging in my own opinion here, I think that is still kind of the common belief in uh, modern society. Anyway, continue reading. Um, sorry. Rather, people simply brought their own feelings to objects, and these feelings are what gave the objects their value. Such feelings were culturally conditioned and relative to particular societies and individuals, and were thus completely subjective. Lewis observes that certain corollaries, corollary, I can't pronounce that, but similarities, let's go with that, followed from this conclusion, mainly that judgments of value are unimportant. All values are subjective and trivial, and emotion is contrary to reason. Let's see if I, see if I agree with that last part. Judgments of value are unimportant. That was C.S. Lewis speaking judgment. Judgments of value. I, I, I don't know if I agree with that. Because what you place judgment on, what you, I mean, you could give something, somebody, or a feeling more value than it is due, but it doesn't mean that it that is unimportant, right? You could be totally giving, I mean, a great example is you could be uh, dating a girl that is kind of way below you in the social sense, but you could be giving her way, way, way too much value to her name because you... Um, because you may be afraid that she's the only chance you have, or you kind of let her step all over you, um, because in your head she is on a pedestal. That doesn't mean, that's not unimportant at all, right? What you put place value, what you judge and place value on is very important, because you could be totally off, you could be totally delusional. So I don't agree with that last part, but I do get what he's saying, and it kind of makes sense. I just, I, I just don't necessarily agree with that. Continuing on. Rather than education, seeking to improve young people by both increasing their stock of fact and honing the sensitivity of their sentiments, students began to be tutored in facts alone. True, and those facts aren't always accurate. Sorry, that was, that was me speaking. The shift was thought to benefit youth, protecting them from the emotional sway of propaganda. Once again, me interjecting, but it became propaganda. <laughs> but Lewis argues that not only did dropping an education in an emphasis on sentiment fail to provide this protective effect, it in fact made students more susceptible to hype and disinformation, exactly what I just said. It uh, weakened their capacity for virtue and human excellence. Yes, that is worth a round of applause, guys, 100%. Yeah, they, this, this, yeah. <laughs> The modern education system, I mean, definitely has its benefits and it's produced wonderful doctors and scientists and X, Y, and Z, but um, it really did become its own sort of propaganda, 100%. And whether that was true or not, or whether what they were teaching was factually correct, it was totally severed from that uh, objective truth that they were talking about. In fact, it actually went this one step farther to kind of teach that objective truths, at least in terms of nature and gender and whatnot, didn't exist. Um, 
And like they said, because of that, it weakened their capacity for virtue and human excellence. Underword, human excellence, not excellence. Because you can go to college, you can get a medical degree, whatever, and that could be considered excellent. But it's not human excellence. It's not nature, natural excellence, right? Continuing. Lewis sees those who propagated the first error as having misunderstood the pressing educational need of the moment. 100%. They totally misunderstood and they placed the emphasis, um, once again, still talking about the modern day education system, on uh, the wrong things. And I think we're seeing now more than ever. All right. Sorry for the cut. Uh, I kept talking and it ended up actually not recording. So... I think I, I pretty much was saying how uh, you're talking about the education system more or less and how it kind of totally missed the point of um, what they were supposed to teach. They ended up teaching emotional propaganda, which I'll talk about in this next, uh, this next part. So they see the world around them swayed by emotional propaganda. They have learned from tradition that youth is sentimental and they conclude that the best thing they can do is to fortify the minds of young people against emotion. My own experience as a teacher tells an opposite tale. For every one pupil who needs to be guarded from a weak excess of sensibility, there are three who need to be awakened from the slumber of cold vulgarity. The task of the modern educator is not to cut down jungles, but to irrigate deserts. Ooh, I like that. Not to cut down jungles, but irrigate deserts. Hmm. The right defense against false sentiments is to include just sentiments. A jet just flew over. So, uh, I'm going to read that again. The right defense against false sentiments is to in inculcate, inculcate. Wow. English is hard for me today. The right defense against false sentiments is to inculcate, inculcate. That's a new word. People are reading, people are listening to this. I'm Googling it right now. And, uh, like, damn, I thought this kid was kind of smart. Okay, it means to instill. Inculcate. Inculcate. Never heard that word before. Sorry, a little slow. The right defense against false sentiments is to inculcate just sentiments. I like that. I like that. Just. All about justice. Truth. Objective truth. Natural truth. Mm. Continuing. By starving the sensibility of our pupils, we only make them easier to prey on by the propagandists when he comes. Ironically, though, this is my own opinion speaking um the greatest propagandists are liberal colleges not saying college is bad college is definitely important and there's a place for it but uh no wonder no wonder we are where we are so in this article what lewis is saying is that young people have a proponency towards apathy or synonymism or sterile complacency anyway. And if you only magnify the, uh, the cynicism, sin, cynicism, cynicism, sorry, cynicism by telling them that all value and emotional and subjective and that absolute tr truths do not exist, then you create a thirsty vacuum that is actually more vulnerable to being filtered by advertising and propaganda. So I, I, I keep talking because English is just so I'm so sorry being subjected. I'm just kidding. I'm not sorry at all. It's funny being subjected to the endless debunking of ideals imparts to young people a smug pleasure in their own knowingness. 100% once again, here's my opinion here. I've 
It's like the the guy who uses his college degree as a reason why he wins an argument, even if he loses it factually. Or he uses his college degree to completely dismiss any opposing argument. Like, I don't want to argue with you. You're not a doc. Like this whole mask thing. I don't want to talk too much about Corona and my opinion on it because I don't want to get blacklisted from iTunes. But it's like there's people out there who are like, you have no say because you're not a doctor, but I am. Regardless of if I went to medical school, my opinion is still valuable, valuable, oh my, valuable. But that doesn't mean that, uh, that, that knowingness is, uh, um, they use it as a disguise is what I'm saying. They use it as a disguise and it pretty much just becomes their own ignorance. Continue reading. Emotional sentiment not only functions as a defense against negative propaganda, but acts as a catalyst for offensive activity. As Lewis argues, dry rational alone can never be a sufficient spur to positive action. Dry rationality, rationality, wow. Dry rationality alone can never be a sufficient spur to positive action. Agreed. Unfortunately, I think dry rationality is more so way too common. Where are we? Goes into another quote. No justification of virtue will enable a man to be virtuous. Agreed. This That pretty much just sums up modern day virtual, virtue signaling. Oh, here it goes. The next part. It's all in bold, so I'm assuming this is the most important part. Oh, by the way, guys, I haven't read this article through. This is the first time I'm reading it with you because if I read it through and I think all the thoughts and I don't talk about them, it would be more or less boring for you guys. Plus, you can hear me struggle. Any of you can guess what my grade in uh, English right now is? I don't know, I'll figure something out. You can get a cookie or something. <laughs> so, without the aid of trained emotions, the intellect is powerless against the animal organism. So it goes back to that natural truth versus that trained truth. I had sooner play cards against a man who was quite skeptical about ethics, but bred to believe that a gentleman does not cheat. <laughs> Perfect example, I don't believe in ethics or natural ethics. And he goes to proceed by saying a gentleman does not cheat. Um, yeah, once again, shows that hypocrisy, not the hypocrisy, but that weakness and dry rationality, the people who stand behind it or have been so ingrained with it to believe that there really is no objective truth, um, to make themselves look like clowns. So we're almost done, guys. Stand tight. Stand tight. Stand firm. We're almost done. So, Lewis compares his view of the importance of sentiment to Plato's allegory of the chariot in which the philosopher likened the soul to a charioteer, representing reason. Tasked with guiding a winged vehicle pulled by two horses, a dark horse, appetites, and a white horse, honorable spiritness, or thumos. Thumos, guys, for you guys if you don't know. Um, what the? Alright, no, that just... Okay, I was gonna reference another article by AOM all about Thumos, but I thought I had it ready to go and I don't. So forgive, forgive me of what I was about to say. Alright, so after reading that, thus when society stops emphasizing and educating the sentiments, which we have completely, it produces what may be called men without chests, men without heart, men without spiritedness, spiritedness. 100% guys. So that's the end of the article. There's a few closing statements, which I actually did read real quick. Um, I don't think they're, they're just kind of extra words in my opinion. But that last part, 
Thus, when society stops emphasizing and educating the sentiments, it produces what may be called men without chests, men without real feeling, men without spiritedness, men without heart, and thumos. I like that word, thumos. Thumos. <laughs> so there you have it, guys. Men without chests, far more than just the physical aspect, more so the emotional, heartfelt. And by emotional, I'm not saying the feminist push, embrace your feminine side. Um, no. You don't need to embrace your feminine side to, to be secured in your own masculinity. Just like the exact opposite, you as a woman, um, the natural being of the natural feminine, femininity in its natural state is strong. It is independent. Uh, you don't need to, as a woman, you don't need to embrace your masculine side to be seen by your fellow sisters as strong and empowered. Embrace your natural femininity and it will do just that. Same with masculinity, guys. You don't. Please don't. I get... Don't. Don't. I, you don't need to embrace your feminine side. So Men Without Chests talks about more or less the current state of our country. And I agree with it. I think the only part I didn't agree with it was when it said casting judgment or like adding, like saying what is of value is pointless um, or is unimportant. I totally disagree with that because... It, what you're giving value doesn't necessarily mean it's true, but it is just as important. So there you go, guys. I hope that made a little bit of sense to you. I hope you uh, could... If you didn't get anything from this, I hope you at least laughed at my struggling of speech. But once again, I didn't read through that article all the way through. I don't like doing that. Like I said, I like reading it with you guys or while I'm recording. So you guys get all my thoughts. You also get the struggles along with it. So I'm going to try to create a few more podcasts by the end of the week or throughout the week because I have time to do that except a few days when I'm not in state. So I'll keep you guys updated. Once again, you can follow me on Instagram at underscore alexander.zinc underscore again. Zinc is my last name. It's spelled Z-I-N-K-E pronounced like the element, but not spelled the same way. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Zinc Alexander. There you go, guys. Nothing more for you. Um, actually, I will say this, um, I'm doing a whole bunch of training recently and uh, I want to emphasize get training guys, but all the cool Gucci gear you have, and I, I'll say I'm a victim of this too, 100%. Yeah, it really, it really, I'm not just, it really is pointless if you don't have the training. So <laughs> go get training guys. Looking cool is pretty important, but um, you can't look cool if you don't know what you're doing. So there you have guys, nothing more for you. Go out, lead others forward, do what empowers you and those around you. And as always, guys, stay the path. Thank you for listening.